Test one. Okay. Now I can probably read my notes because I'm not watching them up there. Let's backtrack just a moment. Jesus says in verse 3 that He had been granted authority to give eternal life to all those that God had given Him. In verse 3 He says that, that He was sent by the only true God, and that eternal life is only through Him. Now, the reason that Jesus was going through all of this in His prayer is He knew the events that were getting ready to take place. He knew the things that were going to happen in the very near future to Him, Him personally. He knew also that by completing the work that He had been sent to do, or fulfilling the mission that He had been given, that it would in turn glorify God. So he was praying, help me to do what I need to do. Help me to accomplish what I've been sent to accomplish so that when I have done it, that it glorifies God. And that mission, of course, was to die in our place so that we could have that eternal life that he spoke of. Not even the prospects of suffering and death could stop him. And I believe it was because he knew that ultimately he would glorify, he would be glorified with the presence that he had been glorified with before the world began, in verse 5. That was the ultimate goal, that when it's all said and done, whatever I have to go through in this life really won't matter, because when it's all said and done, I will return to the glory that I had from the time before the world began. So whatever I have to go through down here really doesn't matter. And with us, it's much the same way. We might go through things here in life that that are not the most pleasant. But ultimately, we have to look at this is not what it's all about. When we compare a a life of a 100 years, if any of us would live to be that old, if we compare a life of a 100 years here on this earth to an eternity in some place after we leave this earth, it just doesn't seem like that long. And if we went through trials and tribulations for that entire hundred years, which is not very likely, it still wouldn't matter to the glory that we would experience when we go to heaven. Going on, John 17, verses 9, 11, and then 15 through 9. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Remember that portion of Scripture right there. So they may be one as we are one. Verses 15 through 19, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And as I read these scriptures, again, it was one of those times where it was just words. It was just, it seemed like it was just saying the same thing over and over. And I prayed, Lord, help me to understand what you're trying to say here. Because I've read this before, and I guess as sometimes we read certain passages of scriptures, and we just kind of go by them till we get to something that we understand. But here we are studying for a Sunday school lesson, so all of a sudden we're kind of forced to understand these particular verses because they were the one that were, ones that were chosen for us. So as I looked, I said, God, just help me to see what you're trying to say in your word. And I believe this is the, what God spoke to me. As Jesus was praying, he knew that his followers, once he was gone, he, was, he knew the events that were going to take place. He knew that he would be... He would be beaten, he would be crucified, he would be buried, and then he would raise from the dead. He'd be gone. But he knew that his disciples were going to remain here on the earth. If you go all the way back to verse 9, he says, I'm going to be gone. And I pray for them, not for me, because they're the ones that are going to be stuck down here. And he knew that they would face opposition. And because of that, because of the opposition that they would face, here's what Jesus prayed. He prayed that they would have unity to be one as we are one. He knew that if they were to stand against the things that came to them, they would have to be unified in purpose. He also noted that the disciples, they would need to be sanctified. In other words, to be made holy. And he said that this was done by the truth. He goes on to explain, just in case those that are going to be reading this prayer down the road, several hundred years or thousand years, if you don't know what the truth is, in verse 17 he said, truth is your word. And he said that just as I have been sent into this world, I in turn have sent my disciples out into the world. That hasn't changed. That is still our calling today. We are called as Christians to go out into the world and spread the gospel of Christ. Jesus knew that when he prayed. And I believe, well, I don't believe I know this, when you look back at the very beginning of the prayer, he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for any that would ever believe. And that goes to today. So if all of these things were for all of those people, then that means for us that are sitting here today, it's still for us. And if he sent the disciples out into the world, that means that we are sent out into the world or to be sent out into the world. He knew that the only way the disciples could stand against the things that would come against them was to be united in mind and in purpose. And that hasn't changed today either. Because all of this comes back to us too. We are called to be of one purpose. We are called to be of one mind so that we too can go out into the world and proclaim the good news. If we all take off in different directions and we're all headed off 
to do our own little thing, we can't reach the world. Now, I will say this, that in, in, in any group, in any group of people, in any organization, there are going to be people that have different jobs in that organization. In a church, it's the same way. Because we have different jobs, maybe there are those that are ushers, those are Sunday school teachers, there are those that are singers, there's, there's those that are intercessors in prayer, there are those that their calling is just to pray for people. They still have to be united for one purpose. Because we have different callings doesn't mean that we have different directions. If you take a football team or a baseball team or whatever type of sports you want, not NASCAR because it's really not a sport, but you, any kind of sport that you want, it takes a team. Somebody is going to get mad now. It takes a team. And let's look at a football team. Everybody can't be the quarterback. Yes, he gets a lot of the attention. And most of the time, whenever they win, everybody looks to the quarterback. But you know what? If everybody stood back here, there'd be nobody up there. And without those people up there, he can't do his job. Everybody can't be the pastor. But he, the pastor needs us to do our part so that he can do his part. Just because we have different jobs within the team doesn't mean that we're not headed in the same direction. Now, if you take that same football team and the quarterback gets down, 44, 57, hut, hut, and everybody just takes off running around the field. Never win a game. Never win a game. There has to be a direction. If you notice, when those guys get down on the line before the ball is snapped, they're all pointing in the same direction. Nobody lines up like this. They're all headed this way. When that ball is snapped, that quarterback might go back two or three steps, but ultimately when he throws the ball, it's going to go that way. Why? Because they have to be in the same direction. They have to have the same mind. They have to have the same purpose. And Jesus knew that. Unity of believers is the only way that we can effectively perform the task of reaching the world. And I'm not saying... Before you think this in your mind, I'm not saying that we have to accept every brand of religion that comes along. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that we need to pray for and support those ministries that are teaching and preaching the Word of God. If they are not doing that, then we don't need to be supporting them. Jesus said in verse 17, Your Word is truth. Truth is not every opinion that we hear on TV. Truth is not necessarily every crusade that comes through town. Truth is the Word of God. And contrary to what some churches believe and teach, there is no single organization that has cornered the market on truth. 
Because believe it or not, truth is exactly the same as it was when Jesus was praying. And there are churches today that, bless God, we have the truth. You do? So do I. It's right here. It's not an elusive thing that you have to be a special member of a special club to have. It's right here. Your word is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And most people, before we go on, I want to stop just a minute. We're talking about prayer here this morning. And even though we're talking mainly about unity, this whole thing takes place in the context of a prayer. I want to look at prayer just for a second. Most people that believe in God and believe that God exists have at some point in their life attempted to communicate with Him. Most people. Even if they're not, don't call themselves Christians. If they got into a big mess or a big trouble or fixed to have an accident or something, they learned how to pray all of a sudden. Now, often these prayers are misguided and misused. And the Bible gives us several examples of effective prayer, and it also gives us some examples of ineffective prayer. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. John 15 and 7 says this, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Now look at the specifics and the qualifications that are being written here. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, then you can ask what you wish, and it will be given unto you. James 5 and 16 says this, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If we are following the will of God, if we are in the right spirit, then what we need to do is ask for what we need, and we will receive it. There's times when prayer is ineffective. It's not ineffective on God's part. It's ineffective on our part. Listen to what David said in Psalm 66 and 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It all goes back to that, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And David said, if I still had sin in my heart, then God wasn't going to listen to my prayers. James 4 and 3. When you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If you ask God for the things and you ask for the wrong reasons, God's not obligated to answer the prayer. What are our motives when we pray? And one final word on prayer, Hebrews 11 and 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God. And this is a key part here of all prayer. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. If we're going to go pray to God for something, if we don't even believe he exists, 
why are we praying? If we don't believe that He rewards those that earnestly seek Him, why are we praying? If we don't think He's able to answer prayer, then why are we praying? So what does the Bible say? It says that our heart needs to be right. Our motives need to be clear. And when we earnestly seek Him, we will receive the rewards that He has for us. Amen. Back to John. John chapter 17, verses through 24. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Talking about the disciples here. That all of them may be one. Here we come back to that same theme of unity. That they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be as one as we are one. Again, that same, same exact passage, those same exact words. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And when I got to this portion of the Scripture, when I started studying this last few verses, all of a sudden the rest of it started making sense. And I saw something I had never seen before. I think it's important for us to note that Jesus prayed for us. What do you mean He prayed for us? Yeah, He prayed for us. Jesus prayed in verse 20, for those who would believe in Him through the message of the Gospel. I believe that's us. And I believe again that that means that unity is just as important today as it was in the days of the disciples if not more so. And here's where it really starts to to make sense. Jesus said when the world sees this unity among believers, it would show them the love of Christ. Jesus knew that, that unity could be a powerful witness of the reality of God's love. But it's only through unity. It is not likely that a person would want the same spirit that we have if we are always at war with those that are supposed to be our brothers and sisters. Why would the world want that? Again, Jesus was real specific. He said, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one so that the world will see and believe. What are they going to see if we're fighting among ourselves? They can do that on their own. They can do that without God. I've heard men of God, let me back up. I've heard supposed men of God stand up and preach and spend more time speaking ill of the church across town than speaking ill of the devil. 
Who wins there? Charles H. Brent said this, The world is too strong for a divided church. The devil is the master of divide and conquer tactics. And he has used it very effectively in Pentecostal churches for decades. For people that are full of the Spirit and walking in the truth, we love those phrases. But for those people that are those things, not to demonstrate unity so the world can see the love of God as Jesus prayed, it is shameful. Jesus prayed specifically for that. And when the world sees anything other than that in than that in us, it's shameful. Not only that, it goes against the very teachings of Jesus. And of course, Jesus knew this was possibly going to happen, and I believe that's why He prayed for us. I believe that's why He prayed specifically for unity among the followers in our day. I think it's important that somewhere along in this study, that we stop and look and see what unity really is. Here's a dictionary definition. Unity. The state of being one, being united or combined into one, as the parts of a whole. That's unity. Christian unity fits into that definition. But in addition to that, it should be Christ-centered and God-glorifying. When Jesus prayed in verse 20... I do not ask for these only, speaking of the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. The unity wasn't for a limited time. It wasn't, get your unity now before it runs out. It was unity for then, for the near future, and for the far future, and for everyone today that is a believer. And that unity that Jesus is talking about, let me just tell you, that is not the kind of unity that we think about most of the time. It's not just that favorite five that's in your phone, your cell phone, or 10 or 15 or 20. It means unity among believers. We don't get to just go out and pick who we want to be at unity with. Amen. It's not qualified according to age. It's not qualified according to income, skin color, or issues of personal taste. I believe that when Jesus prayed that the church would have unity, that that unity would be between the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the white collar and the blue collar, the traditional and the contemporary, for all the music people. The one that's thing that should unite us as believers is the application of the blood of Jesus Christ that is applied to our life. 
when we have all received the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our life in remission for our sins, then we should have unity. The reason that we are not united with the world is because the world cares nothing for the cross and the blood of Jesus. And that's why Muslims, Jews, and Christians, although all claiming to have one God, are not and cannot be unified. Because Christian unity only comes by the way of the cross and is only realized by those who trust in Christ's work on the cross. We can't be unified with somebody that doesn't believe in that. That's the basic fundamental thing that provides unity among God's people. And that's that we have had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. It's the common denominator. Thank you. So a church will be more or less unified according to its love for and trust in Christ's redeeming work of salvation. Now there are also there's some false forms of unity. Unity is not simply a mutual agreement. One type of false unity is the unity of organization. Some people feel that just because they belong to a certain church or a certain organization, well then we must be unified. We all belong to the same group. Getting together under a title of an organization or under the name of a church does not guarantee unity. As we said earlier, churches and religious organizations have been a hotbed of disunity for decades. Some of the most horrible splits and hard feelings have come from churches and religious organizations. Church splits. Hard feelings. People that quit going to church because someone painted the bathroom a color they didn't like. And if that's the way it's going to be, I just can't go there and worship. And we shake our head. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've seen stuff just as silly. And yet we wonder why the world doesn't want to join in. Another false form of unity is unity of conformity. And often this is the unity that, that a lot of churches seek today. At many churches you walk in and everybody looks the same. They're about the same age, make about the same amount of money, and definitely all from the same ethnic group. The Reverend Mark, Dr. Martin Luther King once noted that Sunday morning was the most segre segregated time in America. Now, let me say that that is not the case at High Point Church of Brandon. <laughs> it's certainly not the case here. And I am so glad that it doesn't matter who walks in of, of whatever type, they can walk in and just feel right at home. Young or old, just anywhere in between. Here's what it's all about. And I don't remember seeing this before in the Bible. And if I did, I just didn't remember it. But I want to read verse 23 again. I and them and you and me. 
May they be brought to complete unity. And here's the reason. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So let me ask you this. We don't have all those other dividing factors at High Point Church. But do the people of the Brandon Valrico area look at us at High Point Church and say to themselves, I can tell by the love that these people have that Jesus is surely the Son of God sent to save people from their sins. And what kind of unity reaches to such an incredible extent? It's the unity of love. And it's not love for ourself. When we love ourselves, that's what adds to division. When we say, bless God, I'm painting that bathroom orange, I don't care what anybody thinks because I like orange. And the other person says, well, if you do, I'm leaving. That's about us. That's not about God. You see, God really doesn't care what color the bathroom is. Now, nobody's had this problem. I just tried to think of something that... We're not fighting over the bathroom colors. True Christianity. True Christianity. Not Christianity. True Christianity leads to unity and love and unity of purpose. And unity of love and unity of purpose is the only thing that will motivate us to go out into the world and share the gospel with people that are dying every day. There will be those that we see that might do things a little differently. They might even look a little different. But our hearts need to be joined And our paths need to be the same. We should want the world to see and experience the glory of God. That's what this scripture was all about. Because when people saw the unity, they would see the glory of God and they would see the love of God. Unity is a process of being loved by God, then loving God, then loving like God. Let's say that again. Unity is a process of being loved by God, then loving God, then loving like God. And this kind of unity spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Why would the world want to be part and have anything to do with a church that claims to be loved by God, but does not live by what it means to be loved by God? The message that the world needs to hear is not one of health, wealth, and prosperity. There's plenty of that already out there. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Although, if you listen to enough television, you would think that that was the new gospel of Christ. Health, wealth, and prosperity. What the world needs to hear is a message about being joyful and being free from the bondage of sin and death. The world wants nothing to do with a church who claims to know all about forgiveness but is full of people who hold grudges one for another. They're already doing that. 
if they look at the church and say, well, they look a certain way, but they sure don't act any different than I do. Why would I want to waste my time on Sunday morning? I can stay home and watch the Three Stooges. I don't know that Three Stooges are on Sunday morning. Go ahead. That's powerful, and it's sad, but it's also true. The world will stand up and take notice when we as believers walk in holiness, live in joy, and love sacrificially so that Christ is central and God is glorified. That's when the world will notice and say, there's something different about those people. Not that they look funny. Not that they dress funny. Not that they, they ride in a horse and buggy to church. That's not why I want people to look at us and say we're different. And as a side note, when I say that walking in holiness, I'm not talking about the color shirt you wear. Or how you comb your hair, or if you wear open toe shoes or not. I was doing some research several weeks ago, and and I saw something that looked interesting, so I clicked on it and it happened to be a blog. And this was from one of those full of the truth people. And their entire message here was that. God was not pleased that men in the church were wearing pink shirts. And as I thought about that, I thought, I can see how that would lead people to Christ. When we talk about holiness, for so many years, holiness has been everything on the outside. And yes, I do believe in a a certain amount of holiness in the way we dress. There should be modesty, yes. But when we get down to the point where we start criticizing people for wearing pink shirts, we have completely lost sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember what I said earlier, that the devil is the master of divide and conquer tactics. And as I read this blog, this supposed person full of the Spirit blasted 
pretty much everybody in the world that wasn't exactly like her because they weren't as spiritual as she was. And I thought, oh Lord, please don't let somebody in the world stumble across this nonsense. When I say holiness, here's what I'm talking about. The way we live, the way we act towards God, and the way that we act towards our brothers and sisters and those that are in the world. That's what holiness is. Seldom do people say, I can see God in your shoes. Or I can see God in your white long sleeve shirt. But often you hear them say, I can see God in the way that you live. Amen. What's important is the way that we act towards those that look, act, dress, and even smell different than what we think and the way that we think they should look, act, dress, and smell. When we lose sight of that, we've lost sight of the Gospel. And when we've lost sight of the Gospel, we've lost sight of what this is all about. And I don't say that lightly. I mean that sincerely. When we lose track of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what the important thing that should cause unity, and that's that there is a whole world, millions and millions and millions of people out there today that are lost and dying and going to hell. And yet there are churches smaller than this one that will fight over the other church that has smaller than this one. Because they're afraid somebody's going to steal one of their saints. There's plenty to go around. If every church was doing what they are supposed to be doing, we would have to build more churches to fill the people as opposed to building more prisons to fill them. right our salvation does not come through any deeds that we perform the righteousness that we can summon up within ourselves is absolutely nothing in fact isaiah 64 and 6 says all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags we all shrivel up like a leaf in the wind and like the wind our sins sweep us away so since our righteousness stinks, we have been given the righteousness of God. And that is one thing that should unify us. Because we have nothing within ourselves. When we try to make ourselves better or higher up or holier than the next person at the next church, we're glorifying us, not glorifying God. No program, 
No certain type of ministry, no certain type of worship will unify us. But this is certain. And listen, stay with me just for a minute. This is certain. When we have a common, passionate pursuit of righteousness, that will bring us together. Our goal as a church must be to become unified as one in Christ. The church that is studying God's Word together to know more of Christ will grow closer together. The church that is worshiping God together will move towards God, and that means that as they all move towards God, they move closer to one another. Do you realize that if we're all here and God is over there, if we all get up and move toward God, it automatically makes us closer to one another. And it's the same way in our spirit. As we draw closer to God in the spirit, as our hearts become more like His heart, we find that we become closer to one another. And when I talk about those churches this morning that, that have majored on these, these minor things that don't mean anything, sometimes we say it in, in a bit of humor, but really, it breaks my heart. Because I know that there are people out there that are dying. And while people are dying in the world and going to hell, there are churches that are fighting about who's right and who's wrong. When we have unity, the world will know that Christ has come to love us. That's what that scripture said back in John. They will know that because we love one another... And we love them that we love God. And that must mean that our God is something special. Amen. Division among churches or organizations or inside churches doesn't just hurt the unity and atmosphere of the church. What those divisions do is they, they paint giant graffiti of curse words across the story of God's love. People can't see God's love because of that. Warren Wiersbe said, the world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. When we are united, it takes the focus off of us and it puts the spotlight on the cross. Now I want you to stay with me for just a couple more things. Because this is what it's all about. This next couple little things. In light of what we have looked at this morning. In, in light of what we have studied in the scriptures we've read. Think about this. Can you imagine someone coming to you and saying, I know that God loves me with an infinite love. And you look at them and you say, well, how do you know that? And they answer you this way. They say, because the body of Christ at High Point Church is unified. 
That's exactly what the Scripture says. That's exactly what this whole thing, this whole prayer that Jesus prayed in this 17th chapter of John is that the world will look and say, I know that God loves me. How do you know? Because I see the love of God and the unity at those people's church and in their lives. That's what we're after. That's the unity that Jesus prayed for. And the blessings don't start and end with this earth. The gift that Christ desires to give us most is the gift of seeing His glory. You say, what do you mean? Let's go back to our Scripture reading. Father, I want those you have given me to be with where I am and to see my glory. Because we have no idea what His glory is like. Jesus prayed for us that we would be unified so that we at some point would be able to go to heaven and when we get there we could see His glory. Remember back in verse 9, Jesus said He wasn't praying for everyone. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those that You have given Me, for they are Yours. So everything that followed in this prayer was for who? Us. Those people belong to God. And that's why Jesus was praying specifically for them. That they would find that unity. And they would find eternal life. And they would find salvation. And they would go and tell somebody else about it. And people would look at them and say, Look, there is the love of God. And it's exemplified in those people. And when they see it, they receive salvation. They receive eternal life. And then when we, the, the, it all leads up to this one thing that we get to heaven and we see the glory of God. What Jesus wants for us and what He was praying for was not that we would just have a mansion over the hilltop. It was not that we would have a little cabin in the corner of glory. Whoever wrote that song was so far off base. It's not so that we could walk on streets of gold. It's not so that we could have a big giant feast every day and not gain any weight. That's of course if we are going to eat in heaven. It's not even so that we can see grandma or our sweet little dog Fluffy. Here's what it's about. Yes, I believe we'll see our sweet little dog Fluffy. That's my personal belief. Here's what it's about. Verse 24 says that Jesus wants us to be in heaven so that we can see His amazing glory in all its fullness. This is the end result of the unity that Jesus prayed for in the 17th chapter of John. He prayed for His disciples, for those he, they witnessed to, for us today and for those that we will go out and share the gospel with. And through the unity that we have with God and with each other, we can point a lost and dying world to the glory of Jesus Christ. God bless you.